Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rank from Denver 7 and Troy, Troy, Troy. It is draft week. Finally, we are here. First round of the NFL draft on Thursday. I will drop a podcast on Friday discussing the Broncos first round action. And what is it going to be? Obviously, the question is to QB or not QB. That is what everyone is wondering. Will the Broncos address quarterback in a significant way in the first round? I asked GM George Payton about it. He said he's taking this measured approach, preaching patience. They can still get a trade done. They could get a trade done after the draft. They could take one in the first round. But let's be honest. They like Drew Locke. They don't love Drew Locke. You're taking him to homecoming. You're not taking him to Tom Shane to get a ring. That's where they are. But if they have to stay with Drew Locke and then a Teddy Bridgewater, could they do that for a year? That's certainly a possibility if George Payton doesn't love a Justin Fields or Trey Lance or a Mac Jones. And that might be the case. You know, they haven't taken any calls in terms of moving up so far. That could be a draft day issue. So we'll see where this turns out. The intrigue is fascinating. And that's why I'm bringing on my guest today, Mark Sanchez. You know him as the former star at USC, led the Jets to the playoffs early in his career, played with the Eagles, spent a short time in camp with the Denver Broncos, finished his career bouncing around a couple places. Now, I see him every Saturday during the college football season as an ESPN analyst. He has a podcast, Fourth and Forever, does great work. Mark was only briefly with the Broncos. He's one of my favorite football players of all time to cover. Just a joy to talk football with. And so we're going to touch on a variety of topics, including his expertise on quarterbacks, what it was like to get cut by the Broncos, and maybe the best story we've had on our podcast yet. Mark talking about his appearance on the mass singer. But first, let's tell you who this show is presented by. And it is presented by Hoggett Injury Law. With us, it's personal. Speaking of personal, let me tell you about my friend Darby Hoggett. I've known Darby for years. I coached his son in travel baseball. Our kids played together for years, probably a decade it felt like, traveling around the country, got to know Darby really well. In fact, many of his clients have become his good friends. You don't even have to pay Darby up front. If your case goes as planned, Darby will be the one writing checks to you. If you've been hurt in a car wreck or injured at work, give his team a call at 1-833-HOGGIT. That's 1-833-H-O-G-G-A-T-T. Or find out more, visit their website at hoggetlaw.com. And now to our podcast. Pleasure to introduce Mark Sanchez, who's now in the media. That is where I started our interview with What is it like to go from star quarterback, now you're interviewing these quarterbacks as a member of the press. So, you know, Mark, you played the NFL for eight years, but you've been on the media side now. You're ESPN, you're ABC analyst, you're doing Showtime, 
You have the fourth and forever podcast. What's it like being on the other side? I crossed over to the dark side. I became one of you. <laughs> no, it's been, uh, it's really been a treat. And being a former player, um, you know, it, it helps, I think, in some ways when you're interviewing some of these guys that are still current players. It's a little disarming, um, you know, and, and I think what I've learned a lot from broadcasting boot camp that the NFL provided and from being on the job now for a couple of years is that, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of really, really good people in this profession. And, you know, for the most part, they're, they want to get the story, but they, they want relationships with these players because those stories sell and it's not necessarily the salacious you know gotcha media stories that they're looking for a lot of times they just want to hang out talk and then they're they're going to report on you anyway so you might as well have a good relationship with them and I think the one thing that that I struggled with when I was in New York was feeling like you know they're out to get you and it's you know when you get to meet a lot of these people you're like man you have all these preconceived notions and coaches are so paranoid about information getting out. And so you're just taught to keep everything tight to the vest and don't say anything, you know, kill them with cliches and that's it, you know? And so, um, you know, I'm definitely, I was definitely guilty of that as a player, but now learning um, and understanding uh, the preparation is very similar. Uh, you know, you really got to grind. You can tell when people don't study. And then the other thing is you got to be ready for interviews where, you know, you get answers that are just very vanilla and plain and boring. <laughs> and, you know, you got to you got to try and elicit a, a more uh, fruitful response or something. And so that's been uh, that's been a challenge, too, because, you know, you'll say something to somebody like, man, you did this, that and blah, blah, blah. How cool is that? And they're like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And you're like, that's it. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so it's been uh, it's been challenging. It's been fun. It's helped me grow a lot. And uh, I'm really enjoying it. Well, I see you mostly on, I see the showtime. I see you mostly on ESPN doing the college football stuff. And that's part of the reason other night, I think you're a great dude. And I loved when I was around you in Denver is I wanted to get your expertise as we get closer to the draft. Sure. I don't know if you know this, Mark, but the Broncos have had issues at the quarterback position <laughs> since Peyton Manning retired. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so let's dig in a little bit on these guys. Cause I think there's three possibilities for the Broncos between Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. I think Mac Jones is unlikely based on everything I'm hearing. He's probably going to the Niners at three, but what can you tell me about these, these three quarterbacks from you've been watching football, you know, college football the last couple of years, I guess, starting with Mac Jones? Yeah, I had a, um, a quarterback series that I started last year called the intangibles on fourth and forever. Um, and this year we're still uh, filming some of it and it should be released hopefully this next week, the week of the draft. But um I sat down with Justin Fields and sat down with Mac Jones so far. Um, but you wanted to start with Mac or Justin? Yeah, Sorry. with Mac. Yeah. What do you see from Mac? Yeah, so I, I sat down with him and with Steve Sarkeesian. And the biggest takeaways there is how ready to play he is uh, because of the system he's been in, because of what they asked him to do pre-snap with shifts and motions, uh, formation alignments, um, the way they're asking him to read defenses, adjust protections pre-snap, those kind of things are huge and they will translate very well. Uh, I think the verbiage was, was um, pretty similar to an NFL system. And then they, you know, they ran a lot of, um, you know, tempo stuff they, they they've done plenty of that. And I think uh, one of the things is his accuracy in and around the line of scrimmage, all the little bubbles and, and tunnel screens and swing passes and all that kind of stuff. He is 
deadly accurate. And that's what makes him so good. And he's not one of those guys who rolls out of bed and runs a four, four. Right. So he's, he's got to maximize his athleticism. Right. But he's got the short area area quickness that you need to just subtle movement, keep the play alive, move within a two and a half, three yard box kind of thing and stay, you know, get back to platform. If he goes off platform, you know, if his feet get a little bit out of whack, he gets back quickly and gets himself in a throwing position, a, a comfortable throwing position quickly. Uh, plenty of arm strength. Nobody questions that. I think his, you know, NFL comps are, you know, Matt Stafford, Ryan, uh, uh, Matt Ryan, those kind of guys. Nobody complains about those guys. And, and to be totally honest, for Matt Ryan, he wins that Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Everybody's singing a very different tune about him. So uh, I, I don't think anybody would be disappointed to have somebody like that. I think he does fit that mold of a, you know, a Denver type pocket passer that have been the most successful there. Um, but he's got, he's got some sneaky athleticism. And like I said, he's deadly accurate. Um, and, and he speaks the game. Well, when we watch tape together, he just, it, it flows and, and you understand um, and talking to coach Sarkeesian, he said he waited for three and a half years behind Jalen hurts behind Tua. And he got to bank reps over and over and over in practice against some of the best defenses this country has seen in college football in a long time. And so he's learned from that. He, he put that in his Rolodex and he, the best part about him is he can bring it back out anytime he needs it. You know, he brings the drill work from practice to the field. And that is a very attractive quality when you're looking at these quarterbacks. So I think, you know, um, you know, readiness to play, he's the best. Okay. Uh, I think um, accuracy wise, he's up at the top uh, competitive wise. He's up at the top and um, he was, he was great to sit down with. I was really impressed uh, after sitting down with him. Well, and Justin Fields has been kind of the guy I've been bullish on partly because I don't think Mac Jones is going to be there at nine or right, right, seven right. or eight, wherever Denver, I don't think Denver's going to have the appetite to trade up to four just because right. of the asking price. But I think Fields or Lance could be available at seven, eight, maybe nine. That's risk. What did you see from Fields? I, I love, I say he's a, uh, he's a passing quarterback who can run. seems like we're scrutinizing like the mole on Cindy Crawford here. This guy's had a great college career. And it's like, every time I turn on the TV, it's like yeah. Justin Fields can't play. I'm like, did I not watch him for two years play huge in the biggest games? 100% could not agree more. Uh, I really think he is a pocket passer who, oh, by the way, runs a four, four, like <laughs> you're welcome. Any team that wants that. And here's the thing, like, he has that rare ability to extend plays. And the only thing I can liken it to is, you know, a movie script or, or a sheet of music. And you have some really good, talented actors or, or, or actresses and, and, and musicians. They play that music or read those lines and boom. And it's great. And it's really, really good. You know, and, and everybody's happy and you clap and, and it's great. Then there's a couple people, the Matthew McConaughey's, Denzel Washington's, the um, you know, Whitney Houston's Christina Aguilera's that they take those same notes, the same words, the same, everything that's on that paper, it's exactly the same. And they have ability to take it to this next level to, to give you something special, whether it's voice inflection or a pregnant pause. And just that look from Denzel where you're just glued, right? You're just like, Oh my God. Yes. Like I totally agree. That guy needs to go to jail or whatever it is. And and it takes you to this certain place that is very, very special and unique. Justin Fields has that. And he's been so unfairly criticized for, for having success. And, and really, we're talking about, I, I, I mean, if you add it up, right, 
two plays against Indiana, maybe one or two against Northwestern, and one bad play against Clemson in a game that he just blew the doors off that defense. Um, five plays, six plays in an eight-game season that, you know, are like, man, we really want to get those back. I'll, I'll find five or six plays in eight games of anybody ever who's played the position, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, you name it, who would want to take back five different plays in their eight, in any eight-game span that they've played, even if they're playing at their very best. So. I think it's been a little unfair. Also, um, I, I shed light on this um, on this athletic intelligence quotient test that Justin Fields has scored off the charts on. The only two that were even close to him were Mahomes and Josh Allen. Now, the the guy who runs the test, Scott Goldman, he's like, hey, listen, this isn't a, a predictor. This is a descriptor. So it tells me about the player, not who they will be. Although a lot of the data suggests a lot of positive things so long as you get in uh, to a good situation with good supporting cast and great coaching and all that, that, you know, the trajectory is kind of headed in the right direction. So if he can, um, you know, recall these plays as quickly as it shows on this test, I mean, he's going to have an easy time transitioning to the next level. And, and I think some of the, some of the criticism is unfair too, because the last Ohio state quarterback is Dwayne Haskins. And if his stock's down right now, then, you know, Justin Fields unfairly gets criticized like that. It's like, that's that there's no correlation there. I, I don't think that's fair to do that to him. So um, what about the I, I idea he's really he, special? What about the idea? He doesn't get through comp- his reads, which I think is again, I I've, said that to him. Yeah, go ahead. I've seen go games ahead. with that. That's a fallacy. I've seen him go through his reads. And part of it is their offense is him dropping back and extend, you know, looking to go downfield. So some of it is play calling, but did you yeah. see that? I and mean, when you asked me, you know, about this idea, man, they criticize you because you can't see the middle of the field. And don't go through, don't go through your progressions. Yeah, I, I asked him that direct question, just straight up and blunt, as bluntly as I could. And he just said, yeah, man, I, I don't know what that's about. Because I literally picked out plays on purpose, and there were, you know, more than a handful. They're, they're all over the tape scattered through this eight-game season that were scru- over-scrutinizing, in my opinion. But where he gets to two, three, four, potentially five, and if there's chaos around him, he extends the play with his legs and generally makes a pretty good decision with the football, save maybe four plays. Okay. So it's like, I I don't understand where that, where that narrative came from, but somebody said it and it got traction and now it kind of took on a life of its own. But if you go back and watch it, I, I um, beg to differ with anybody who thinks he can't get through his progressions. I think he's one of the best at. Well, what about Trey Lance? 20 years old, just an athletic marvel dominated at the, you know, lower level, you know, his freshman year, 28 touchdowns no picks. What do you think of Lance? And he look. I mean, he is a marvel. I would have no issue if Denver took him, but he looks like he might have to redshirt just because of his lack of college experience. That, that is my only, you know, uh, and you have to understand, you take this with a grain of salt, just like everything, but this entire, you know, three, four month process of this pre-draft, uh, you know, uh, narratives and all that is, it's just trying to find something wrong with right. these kids. You know, you're, you're examining the apple at, at uh, Ralph's or Kroger, you know, and, and you're just looking at it, like trying to find a bruise, like, Oh, that stems a little off or whatever, you know, like it, they're pretty damn close. Right. Like, so we're obviously looking for flaws in these guys. And the only thing for him is lack of experience. And some of that isn't even his fault. Uh, I think because the quarterback need is so, um, so important and, and so big right now, you know, his, his, stock has gone up right i think in a normal year 
maybe, uh, you know, less teams potentially need a quarterback. There's more free agents available, whatever the case may be. I think he's more of an early second round guy. That was kind of what I thought when I watched him. But same thing, there's very little tape and very little on him. So I think he would best benefit from, um, you know, being in a situation where he has an established starter um, to go into a situation almost like Jordan Love did last year. I see a lot of similarities there uh, without some of the glaring turnovers that Jordan Love had at Utah State. But whenever you get there, there's two sides of the coin, right? Uh, whenever you get a guy from a small school, people are like, oh, well, he hasn't played against great competition. Well, he also hasn't played with, you know, yeah. uh, Jerry <laughs> Judy and, yeah. you know, guys like that coming out of Alabama, all those wide receivers, uh, Smith, and, you know, he hasn't played with the best talent. So let's, let's make sure we're evaluating him in a fair and equal way the best we can, because a lot of this you're just projecting um, and speculating. Um, so, you know, he hasn't played with those kind of players, but you also have to understand too, like, this the, like throwing in the raw materials that he has like there's nobody who wouldn't want that right nobody who 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 has confidence in their their system their coaches and their supporting cast who would say no that's not really for us because you watch this guy like he's the one you want off the bus first like jesus he looks amazing right he's just big and strong and fast he's got the look he's got everything he passes the eye test so it's um i think you know, a team that that's confident and, and has an established starter, although as an established starter before, when you draft Geno Smith or you draft a young quarterback, that's not always easy, right? right. Like that, that pretty much the writing's on the wall essentially for that guy. So right. I, I don't wish that on anybody, but I also understand these new guys come in and they take your job. That's just the nature of the game. So, um, you know, wherever that happens, it's not, it's not, easy. if it's particularly Denver, you know, for Drew Locke, it's, that's tough, man. Either it, it pushes you to be better or, you know, it ends up transitioning you out. There's, there's really no other way to go. So that that's never easy. Um, you know, like I said, I don't wish that on anybody, but sometimes that's the nature of the beast. What do you see from Locke? Cause we see flashes, you know, he did Chargers yeah. come back uh, the end of the Atlanta game, Carolina game at Houston, but there are also games where you're like, Ooh, face palm. Like you can't turn the ball over like that in the NFL. Right. What do you see from Locke? Well, I think, um, you know, with, with the kind of defense that you guys are going to return next year, that's going to be a quarterback's best friend. I think that this next year with uh, it's Judy, right? Yeah. Who's there. Um, Judy Hamler, Noah fan. Yeah. Like Kim Patrick, they, they, got, they got those guys who have, who have, they've kind of weathered some of that storm of those guys maturing. So one, it's staying healthy, you know, guys like Vaughn guys, like, you know, their anchors on defense. But those young guys on offense are now getting a chance to really play. They've got some experience under their belt. This is kind of the year for somebody like Drew. This is probably the best you're going to get, right? So long as they don't draft another quarterback, it's like this is prime time, right? You got to – one, you got to show us that you can do it consistently, take care of the ball consistently, keep giving us those flashes. And when it's just the routine grounder to second base, just flick it over to first base and, and – call it out. Don't, don't give me anything extra. Right. And I think that's kind of where John Elway would probably be sitting. If I'm in his shoes, I would think like, Hey, this is his best opportunity to perform at his best. We will know like what the maximum potential is because of his supporting cast and, and everything going into this year. So long as we're comfortable with our coaching staff and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, listen, injuries happen. There's a lot of external factors. So 
So long as those things, you know, if you did it in a vacuum, you would say, this is kind of the year, Drew, show me, show me that you're a lock, show me that you're our guy. And, <laughs> right. and if that's, if that's the case, I, I think he's best suited to, to, to play his best football, hopefully this season because of the supporting cast, because of the guys returning on defense and the experience they have. But again, you're in, you're not in the easiest division, Right. I mean, uh, you got the, the two time Super Bowl appearance and one time defending champ or whatever in, in Kansas City. Those guys, I mean, that's not an easy division to be in with them. So, it's, well, we've got um, Mahomes, you got Herbert and Carr. That's part yeah. of working against Drew, is no it's doubt, hard yeah. to get to the playoffs if you're the fourth best quarterback in your own division. You could do it. Like Trubisky, the Bears sort of did it last year, yeah. but it's yeah. not easy. If not you're easy. every week in your division, you feel like you're playing uphill a little bit. 100% agree. That's like I said, that's not an easy spot for him, but I think the best chance they have is this upcoming season. Like I said, because of those guys with their, with their experience on offense, those playmakers um, it's time for them to really step up and help him out. Right. Cause this, this, this position, I, I sat down with Steve young recently and he's, I mean, has such a good perspective on this stuff because you got to remember his career. Now he came out in Tampa was there for two years, kind of mm-hmm. floundered around and, People were calling him a bust. They bring in Vinny Testaverde. He gets shipped off. And Steve Young is not Steve Young that we know from the early 90s, right? Until Joe Montana's gone. He's gotten to fill in for him for a little bit. But, you know, 91 to 94 is where he really just skyrockets. And his whole career changes. And, and, you know, I specifically asked him that. I said, in your Wikipedia bio, that's like, you know, one sentence. Like, oh, for three and a half years, you sat behind Joe Montana or whatever. I was like, but that feels like a lifetime, you know, and it's only a couple words, but I mean, explain that. And he's like, man, I mean, it's the lowest of low. You're in a hole. You got to dig your way out and it's a constant fight. And the fight is on the field, you know, the eight inches between your ears. That's where the fight is. And I mean, he went into this whole, um, you know, his, his method that he used every day and how he had to just convince himself that, that, that one, he was good enough. And two, he was going to get a shot. And he didn't really know that was true. Right. Like that's, that's a tough spot. So in some ways, um, you know, it it might not be the first stop for everybody and, and they end up resurrecting their career, but, but he had some great perspective on that. So um, the the most important thing I think he said that I left out um, was the quarterbacks can't be coddled, but they got to be focused, right? Like the decisions of the organization have to be focused around the quarterback without coddling him. And he said, there's a very fine line. So that was, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, absolutely true. Well, when you look at that first round, let's take quarterbacks off the board. Are there a couple of guys you really like that you feel like, man, this guy's going to be a star. We're going to be talking about him in 10 years oh, from, watching, from watching last year. Um, let me think here. I know the DB from, from Alabama. Uh, Patrick Tan. Yeah. I thought he, he looks good and he shows up on a bunch of different films. You know, that's kind of when, you know, right. You're watching all these other quarterbacks and then you see him just like flashes of this guy. You're like, who is this number? What is, (laughs) Oh, got it. So, um, and that's the other thing too. Like when you evaluate these guys, you got to think like his dad was his coach in high school. He's had some of the best coaching at Alabama defensive specific, right? Like maybe his ceilings not as high as, you know, somebody coming out uh, from Cincinnati or, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a smaller school, not a power five team. So you're pretty much getting what you're getting, right? right? Like, and does you hear that a lot about in. Alabama players? Yeah, just in some general, of their ceilings. Right? Yeah, their ceilings yeah. aren't as high because they've been coached so well. 
No doubt. And so that, that doesn't make you a bad player or an unattractive player, but you just know that you're kind of maxed out where somebody, you know, like, like Trey Lance, I mean, the ceiling is, I don't know, how far can you see, you know, <laughs> like this guy could be the best quarterback we've ever seen. It just might take a little time to marinate and, and, you know, you got to give them a chance to leave them in the oven and cook properly. Well, you, you have the stat that you, you only had 17 college starts. You were third fewest college starts when you got drafted. I think yeah. Trubisky was one at 13. How challenging is that, Mark, with guys? Because even Jones doesn't have a lot of starts. Lance certainly doesn't. Fields has a little more. How challenging is that transition when you've only played a year or a year plus in college? Yeah, it's a, it's a big factor. I think um, the lack of starts, just lack of experience and, and mileage isn't necessarily a great thing. Um, then you got to look at the system they're in. What are they really running? What are they asking this guy to do? And understanding that maybe that first year, a redshirt year, isn't the worst thing in the world. Because of the situation I was in, I was drafted fifth overall, not because the New York Jets were the fifth worst team in the league, but because they traded up from 16 or 17 or something. So because of that, I fall into a team that's nine and seven. And if you're nine and seven, you're like real close. We're talking, you know, a couple field goals, maybe one injury, maybe a couple first downs. And that nine and seven looks a lot different at, you know, uh, 12 and four or something. Right. Like, and that's how close a couple of those games are. So I went to a team that was, that was ready, right. Ready to win. And frankly, that rookie year, they won games in spite of me. Like you would think I was trying to lose a couple of them. Like, damn, what are we doing here? We're wearing green and white. What's the, what's the problem? Like how hard is this? You know? And so, there's a learning curve with that kind of stuff and the, the, the lack of ex experience in college. That's, that's an issue for some of these coaches, but you just got to go back to the system they're running, what they're asking the quarterback to do and how well it translates to your system and how quickly you think you can get them caught up understanding that, that because of those lack of starts, that there's going to be some growing pains and, and a serious learning curve that they're going to have to overcome. We'll get a couple more from you. Again, I'm joined by Mark Sanchez, one of my favorites. I know he, he didn't technically play for Denver, but he's one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Yeah, do preseason stats count? Am I in the I, record book anywhere? You're in their preseason stats, but it doesn't show up on Dang pro it. football reference. I still uh, think it would have – if had you hurts. started that year, I think they go to the playoffs. And I'll be completely serious. Because of your – Hey, I appreciate that. I, appreciate, I remember sitting – I remember sitting in John Elway's office and I was just, you got to understand. Cause I um, I've told this story before. I love John Elway. John <laughs> Elway was like, it was him, Troy Aikman, Dan Marino, Brett Favre, all above my bed when I was a kid, like posters of these guys. And I was just in awe of these players. And um, so getting there was kind of weird because I was like, dang, I was in a transitional phase of, of life. I was about to uh, be a father um, you know, I moved a couple times in the last couple of years and, and things were kind of in disarray. And um, I, I definitely didn't play my best football. I thought I played, you know, good enough to hopefully be on the team and potentially start. But, um, you know, I think I think it was a good lesson that that when your life and Coach Carroll used to tell us this, when your life is out of order, it's hard to just show up in the building and, and keep blinders on and, and play great football. Like you need you need balance in, in the in the whole thing. Right. And so. Um, I just remember dealing with a lot of those things. And then at the same time, having like John Elway there every day watching practice, I was like, damn, this is crazy. And I, you know, I haven't gotten starstruck. I'd been in New York. I'd been at USC and LA, the whole, you know, Hollywood scene. None of that stuff had really phased me 
because it wasn't something that I was like super interested in, right? Like I'd geek out over a couple Broadway show people every once in a while or something because I really enjoyed that. That was like something I really enjoyed. But John Elway, I was like, oh my God. And so I remember sitting in his office and he's just like, I mean, you know how John, sorry, dude, um, you know, we're going to have to release you. And uh, we really appreciate the leadership and, uh, and your hard work and your effort. And I just remember being like, oh my God, no, you don't mean it. John, say you don't mean it. Tell me this is a joke. Uh, you know, I was like, okay, what if you guys just like cut me and then bring me back for minimum and then, you know, whatever, like I'll essentially be here for free kind of thing what do you say <laughs> you know so <laughs> oh my man I, I remember because then you ended up in Dallas it was like either you were going to be the starter or you weren't going to be on the team it was this weird dynamic because you were obviously really good, good enough to be the backup but it was just the way it worked out yeah. so it was so it was, was so though. weird that way uh when you hold on uh, going back through the yeah, you had me laughing with your John Elway impersonation I did. sorry what dude. What do you remember about your draft process? Uh, you know, again, going to New York, you, you were a huge star at USC. The, the spotlight was so bright there. And you go to the New York. What do you remember about your draft process and that part of Because you, you were at New York, I'm sure, right, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. For the draft. What do you remember about that? Uh, so we actually, I was there the night before the draft. I flew home because my grandma couldn't fly. And we, she wanted to be there for draft day. She was like 98 at the time or 96 or something at the time. Um, and... Uh, so we fly back home and boom, I get picked to New York. So I got to fly right back the very next day. So doing that cross country trip four times in 48 hours was, was uh, intense. But um, you know, a lot of people have, have uh, talked about Zach Wilson potentially going there and it looks like all signs are pointing there, but they're like, you know, you were in LA. What was the media like the media market jump for you? Like, because if you think about it, that's pretty much as prepared as you could possibly be right in LA without the Rams or the Chargers uh you know it was Lakers Kings Dodgers and us like we were football and no offense to UCLA but we used to you know we used to beat them up pretty good so we were kind of the team and essentially like a pro team and we had a ton of media coverage it was a big deal being the quarterback in LA and so if anybody was as prepared as they could be it was me and there was still a learning curve there was still a jump to get to, you know, the 30 beat writers that are in the locker room every single day, uh, you know, constant press conferences, constant uh, having to readdress things you've said based on, you know, things that have gotten taken out of context. And I mean, it was so competitive in that market. And you feel like the walls are caving in at times and you're just like, golly, like I thought we were on a team here. What's going on? You know? So it was, um, it, it was, it was intense. It was intense. And I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I like to have fun, like to get out, and, you know, have a good time, go see a Broadway show. And it's like, Oh, you know, he's, he doesn't care about football anymore. And he's just here to be a celebrity. And I'm like, Holy cow, man, we're in March. We haven't even played a, a down yet. You know, we're, or, or may, excuse me, we're in May. We haven't even played a down yet. And, and, you know, all of a sudden I don't even like football anymore. It's like, damn, you know, so, so it's, um, it's a real thing there. It's, it's a, it's a big animal. And, and if you're, that's, that's the thing too. If you're successful there, those first couple of years, even into the third year that even though we didn't make the playoffs, we went eight and eight. I mean, it was like, you know, keys to the city, do whatever you want, have a great time. It's awesome. And then as soon as you lose, you, you realize this, um, uh, you, you feel how sensational um, the media can be and, and how superlative it can be, right? It's either best or worst. 
Right. And that was, that was a tough transition because you got to understand it was Rose Bowl, AFC Championship, AFC Championship, nothing, right? Eight and eight, you guys are just, you know, dog crap. And you suck and they shouldn't have drafted you and they're going to go get Peyton Manning, which is when he ended up going to Denver. So I was like, whoa, that's, that's a stark contrast to how this whole thing started. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's important to keep perspective. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to have my family and, and a lot of good friends through the entire draft process and, and I got to lean on them. Uh, but it's, it's intense. I, I also remember just before I, before I was going to leave um, making that decision and I know coach Carroll didn't agree with it. Uh, he understood why. And part of it, excuse me, is, is, you know, Sam Bradford was staying, Colt McCoy was staying. It was me, Josh Freeman uh, and Matt Safford. And I'm like, I'm going to go work out in a t-shirt and shorts for a couple months and all I have to do is compete with these guys not that they're not good but I mean a t-shirt and shorts like I'm in let's go I'm I'm ready to go and uh, I knew I could be you know in that top three conversation easily and so um, that that was really you know the final thing it's not that I didn't want to go back to school I was going to graduate anyway um, it's not that I didn't like the thought of going to school again or, or playing at USC again, there were both great options, whether I went back or left, I had great options available and I was just going to live it out to be the right decision. And I think I did. So, um, you know, I was, I was happy with the decision and, and it's been a heck of a ride and, and what a fun first couple of years in the NFL. What a, what an experience to, to, to get that taste of the NFL right away. It's, uh, it's, it, well, there's good and bad, right. Then the expectation is so high and, Sometimes it's hard to live up to that, but it's been, it's been a fun ride. And in a weird way, I think it still worked out for you. It may not have been the path you, you know, the, the destination might be different. You got to, got to got there differently, but I think ultimately you have been a success in so many ways, both on the field and off. And I, so I've got a last, last question. I'm watching TV. I guess it was last summer and, and I'm watching the mass singer. And I see the, the pulling the head off of this alien. I'm like, hey, yeah. I know that guy. That's I see him back there. So how did this happen? Yeah. I mean, because again, you like you said, you like Broadway shows, you you yeah. like music. What are you doing on Max Mass Singer? Was it for your, your kid or for you? Or they they uh, reach out and yeah. say, you want to be on? How'd this happen, Mark? A little bit of both. They had asked about um dancing with the stars in the past when Vaughn was there. We went out and, and visited him while he was performing and practicing and all that. And I saw how rigorous that schedule was, and I was like, you know, I'm not, I don't love dancing. And they asked, you know, a while back, even before I had gotten to Denver, back when I was either in New York or Philly. And I said, you know, if you guys ever do like a cool karaoke show, I'm in. Oh. And boom, I see the Masked Singer come up. And for season three, they wanted me. And it just didn't work out scheduling wise uh, because I was starting with ESPN and ABC. And so I was like, I, you know, I just can't film right now. Um, you know, my schedule, there's too many conflicts, but maybe next season. And then the pandemic hits and we're all kind of sitting around and they gave us a call and said, Hey, if you're willing to do it, we'd love to have you this season. And they explained all their protocols for COVID and, and how intense that stuff was. But what I didn't realize is, is you don't see anybody else you're competing against. They keep you away from everyone. You have no contact with anyone except like five people that are your costume designers, your um, choreographers for me, the puppet, uh, the puppeteer and puppet specialists that I had to do zooms like this with for uh, you know, we probably did five or six of them for anywhere from an hour to two hours. And I'm learning how to use this puppet and bring this inanimate object to life. Um, 
And then I would, you know, I'd practice with the puppet. I'd read to my son at night um, in our, in our big comfy chair before he goes to bed. <laughs> and I would read with this puppet. And he's like, what, what is that? And I was like, oh, you know, this is the, the puppet they sent me. What it looks kind of like Kermit the frog. And I was like, oh, this is my buddy frog. And he just loves to read. So let's read with frog. And, you know, when Daniel would say something funny, I'd try and remember to like do the laugh, like a big hearty laugh and, you know, use, use the eye movement cues that this guy gave me. So I'm, I'm doing all that on top of that, you got to get a, a, a vocal coach. So I'm, I'm doing that with her. Um, and golly, it was, I mean, it was a lot more than I expected. Um, I, had a, I had a blast doing it. And, you know, to be totally honest, I thought I was going to go one more round. I was hoping for one more round, but uh, once it, it's funny. Cause I said, you don't, you don't interact with anybody, right? You, there's no contact with other contestants. So I didn't know who was on it, but I remember seeing, um, uh, the seahorse go up who ends up being Tori Kelly, the, the contemporary Christian singer, incredible voice. And, um, she goes up and sings the song from Titanic. My heart will go on by Celine Dion. And I'm taking off my baby alien costume. And it's so, you know, um, so involved and, and intricate that it takes, and very heavy, it takes like two people to get this thing off and it takes a while to transition. So I'm not supposed to be backstage while she's going to sing. So we kind of pass each other and I don't know it's her because she's in costume. I'm in costume. And we just kind of like nod and she goes on stage and I'm like sky high, feeling great. Nailed my song. You know, like, this is awesome. The, the vocal coach is high fiving me. The choreographer is like, you nailed it, blah, blah, blah. And, and they weren't blowing smoke. They were, they were being on. I'm like, be honest with me now. If it sucked, tell me it sucked because it's hard to hear in there. I just got my earpiece. I felt good. What do you think? Boom. I'm like happy with my report card, the whole thing. And then I hear Tori Kelly eventually start singing and my jaw drops. And I was just like, who invited Celine Dion? I was like, this is bull. What's the deal? That's a professional singer. This is not fair. You guys want to go have a seven on seven tournament? I'll kick your ass, you know? So <laughs> I went from literally sky high, outer space, alien elation to just lower than whale crap. And I was so bummed in that moment because I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. I've maximized my potential, man. This is all I got. Oh my god, that's, it's like Kid Griffey Jr. showing up in like a slow pitch softball game. Like, what is this exactly. dude doing? I'm Why like, is he here? Come on, man. But then that's the other thing. Everybody was hanging around during the pandemic. No concerts, right? No, you know, studios were closed. Everything was barely starting to open, sort of. And so there are a lot of talented people that were available. That's what I learned. Yeah, you got <laughs> you got you picked the wrong season. That's the only reason you didn't win that. I thought you did that's fine. Right. And I admired it because I can't sing a lick and listening yeah. to you describe what you had to do to just get on stage. I figured like That's with the non singers, they were just like, Hey, go out there and let it eat. I mean, what are you going to do? Right. I do like the mass singer better than the mass dancer. Cause when you can't dance, it's just it, like it, like at least singing, they can help you with, you know, the choreography. Right. Just, but when you can't dance, like you can't dance. Like it's just, <laughs> just I, that's it. Yeah. The mass singer. Part, move on. Yeah, you just, you can't do it. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. Hopefully our paths cross at some point out in Southern California. But again, I'm so happy for your success in the second half of your career. I love watching you on ESPN, Showtime. Fourth and Forever, folks, is his, uh, the podcast Mark does. And he's going to be dropping what you said, some quarterback analysis, correct, Mark, before yes, the sir. draft. So please check that out. Again, he may not be in the official Broncos media guide, 
but he is uh, easily on my all-time list of favorite Broncos. Just a wonderful dude. Appreciate Mark, it. thank you so much, my man. Yes, sir. Thank you, Troy. Thanks again for joining me here on the Believe in Broncos podcast. Again, it's presented by Hoggett Injury Law. Thank you, Darby, for the sponsorship. Thank you for all the support. We're barely a week in, and you guys have been downloading like crazy. So tell your friends. Tell your family. Keep listening. Give me your feedback on my Twitter, at Troy Rink, T-R-O-Y-R-E-N-C-K. And let me tell you, this show is for you. Happiness begins with me. Go out there and have a great day. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube